Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. was 1855. Israel Barlow was on the ship Samuel Curling and was returning from missionary service, bringing with him 581 Latter-day Saints coming from Liverpool, England into, I assume, into New York City. They were coming via the North Atlantic. And while they traveled on this particular voyage, there were numerous storms. In fact, One of those storms was so violent that the captain said that he had never, quote, in his long experience as a seafaring man, he had never encountered a worse one. And then he added, the captain, that it had not yet reached its highest point yet, but that in the next half hour, it would be worse still. It was at that point when Israel Barlow, who was the president of the Latter-day Saint Company, now Sometimes on these voyages, they were called captains of the Latter-day Saints. Sometimes they were called presidents. The terms were used interchangeably. Section 136 designates these leaders as captains. But at any rate, Barlow walked in. Now, he was not an experienced seaman, and he boldly announced to the captain, quote, that the storm was nearly over and would not increase in violence. Well, now, men in command don't like to be contradicted. And that made the captain angry. He figured, quote, he knew more about the weather and the sea than anyone else on board. He then walked out, went to his cabin and examined his instruments. And to his surprise, discovered that the Mormon was right. The storm was calming and abated almost immediately. Now, how is it that Israel Barlow knew that the storm was going to end quickly and that the ship would be saved all the while that storm was raging furiously. It is recorded in the Mormon Migration Database maintained by BYU from the original records that President Barlow stood out on deck in the midst of the raging storm and, quote, witnessed scores of angels encircling the ship with joined hands. It was a testimony to the saints that the Lord was watching over the ship and that there was no danger, end quote. No matter what happens in this life, brothers and sisters, whether it be earthquakes, plagues, pandemics, or anything else, Let us remember what Isaiah said. The mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted. He is with us. He is with us still. 
Now, I know I have at least two other stories of Israel Barlow. And I don't know how many people have ever heard this one, but this story I'm sharing with those who are members of Israel Barlow's family. Now, you probably know the story, but the rest of us don't. And it is a sweet, tender, and touching story. You see, it's at the other end of that mission. The story I just told you took place in April of 1855. This story begins Wednesday, August 31st, 1853. Israel Barlow, on his way to missionary service that I just mentioned, this is the other end of that mission, the beginning, stood in a small cemetery in the little village of Nauvoo, Illinois. In his heart, he carried the request of his grieving wife that he find the grave of their firstborn son, James Nathaniel, who had been born in Nauvoo, lived but one day, and died on May 8, 1841. Israel, as I said, was on his way to England to preach the gospel. He had very little time. But with his wife's errand on his mind, he searched out and found that cemetery. Rumors had reached Salt Lake that a road was going to be built over that cemetery. And thus would he go and find the grave and remove the body to the cemetery east of town. Well, of course, Israel, father and devoted husband, agreed to do so. Now, as he stood in the cemetery, where's the grave? It was so overgrown with weeds that he could not find the actual grave. He searched, couldn't find it. So the next day he enlisted the help of another man and together they found the grave of little James and his cousin side by side. They unearthed them. The coffins were very much decayed and Israel decided, given the circumstances and the press for time, that he would not move them. He would just simply cover them back up and leave them. And he began to walk away. But then he stopped and looked back and at the little coffin and something said to him, move it, move it. But he was running short of time. He had a boat to catch, a journey and a mission to fulfill. And this looked like a lot of work. He turned away again, thinking to himself, quote, the earth as well as the sea would have to give up its dead and that they might as well be in one place as in another. I therefore turned away, he said, and concluded that I would leave them there. Israel had gone only a few feet when another voice came into his mind, so clear and distinct that he could not mistake it. The voice said, Daddy, do not leave me here. Israel turned back, and with greater peace than he had yet known, he removed the body of his beloved infant son to the old cemetery east of Nauvoo, conscious that he had done his duty by the Lord and by his son. He carved a stone to mark the final resting place of James Nathaniel Barlow, and as he was about to leave, something held him. Israel said, the time of my departure had come. Could I go away? No, 
There was something that caused my feelings to linger there and bound me fast. I felt a desire to dedicate myself and all that I might call mine own into the hands of the Lord, that I might be counted worthy to come forth with my son in the morning of the first resurrection. The thoughts of absenting myself far away, never more in life to return to his grave, wrung the last thread of affection I bore till it was broken with tears on his grave. Israel Barlow walked on into history, making history and leaving behind a beloved and endearing legacy for his family. I quote from the prophet Joseph Smith, and this because so many of you that have written to me have commented that you've lost companions. And so this quote from the prophet Joseph Smith, dated October 9th, 1843, in the Times and Seasons, is for you. He said, The spirits of the just are exalted to a greater and more glorious work. Hence, they are blessed in departing. Enveloped in flaming fire, they are not far from us and know and understand our thoughts, feelings, and motions, and are often pained therewith, end of quote. President Joseph Fielding Smith once taught that we live in the presence of the dead. They are oftentimes appointed to be our guardian angels. They see us, they know us, and they love us now more than they did in mortality. For now they see and understand clearly all of the trials and difficulties that come with being mortal in a fallen world. Now, this next story. If any of you have found it, like me, almost galling to be locked up, to be confined, some of you have noticed that as I've been doing these little videos in between the firesides, it's like, where's Waldo? Okay, where's Glenn going to be in the next one? I've been all over the place, and I, I intend to keep doing it. Why? Because I'm going nuts inside of four walls. i got to get out. I'm used to traveling all over the world, and here I am now stuck. So if any of you have found it difficult adjusting, well, maybe this story will be of some degree of comfort. There was once a man who had a very unusual dream in which he found himself, quote, standing on a peninsula in the midst of a vast body of water where there appeared to be a huge harbor or pier for boats to come into. The man was standing there looking out on this harbor with his friends. Presently, a strong wind came up that increased into a raging storm, making the waters extremely rough. A ship turned out and started out of the harbor making its way out into the channel. But as it did so, the man, our friend in the, who was having the dream, said that if the people did not understand the times and signs of the times and the spirit of prophecy, they would be apt to be lost. Within moments, the little group standing on the peninsula witnessed the violent waves break over the departing ship. It foundered and went down. The man declared to his friends that he felt that he could best those waves and beat that storm. 
His friends laughed at him. They said, you get in that water, you'll drown. But to the man, he said, the waters looked clear and beautiful. Even though they were exceedingly rough, he said, I think I can swim those waters. They told him that he would drown. He decided he would try it anyway. Now, mind you, this is a dream. Well, he jumped into the water. And sure enough, he went down. But quickly, he came back up. He had not gone far when a towering wave overwhelmed him, but he found himself suddenly, somehow, up on top of the wave. Another wave broke over him. He struggled hard, he said, to live in the midst of the storm and the waves. That's a quote, to live. And soon, he said, I've gained upon every wave and skimmed the torrent better. He found quickly that he was able soon, by struggling hard and working at it, that he could swim with his head above water and not go under. He had gone a great distance and found that he was enjoying himself. He was having great fun, notwithstanding the storm. He became stronger, faster, until finally he was swimming with such power that his head and shoulders were above the water and he was faster than any ship in the harbor. The water seemed to calm. His body rose higher and higher until finally he could tread on the top of the water and went almost with the speed of an arrow. He thought, he said, it was a great sport and pleasure to travel with such speed. And then he woke up. Now, I debated whether or not to tell you this story, wondering if you would take the time to think about it. I think you will. I pray you will. The man who received that dream was Joseph Smith, the prophet. In that dream, he also mentioned that he had a companion swimming alongside of him, his brother Samuel. Both of them overcame the waves, beat the storm, and rose above it. The date of this dream, as related by Joseph Smith himself to Wilford Woodruff, who wrote it in his journal, was February 2nd, 1844. Just five months before Joseph and Samuel would die as martyrs to the faith. John the Revelator wrote the following. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. By the grace of God, I pray that we can all, notwithstanding our trials, tribulations, adversities, mental, physical, whatever it is that afflicts you, Best the waves, beat the storm, overcome it, rise above it, and by the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ, stand pure before him with power. That is my prayer for you. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.